Well, it's good to be with you this afternoon. My name's David, if you didn't know. Um, I'm a member here at REC, and it's uh, my privilege to share God's word with you this afternoon. When I was a student, um, I shared a room uh, for a while with a guy called Andy. Uh, Andy wasn't a Christian, um, but he wasn't antagonistic, and we were mates, we were friends. Um, But he did like to try and provoke me from time to time. Um, And one day, um, he thought he was really going to get me. Um, So I was sat on my bed quietly, uh, reading my Bible. I think I was reading my Bible. I was reading something anyway. I think it was my Bible. And he began um, to annoy me, deliberately. (laughs) He began to sort of question me. He said, come on, David, Um, you know, react to me. Why don't you say something? Why don't you do something? You just sat there reading. And I thought, I'm I'm not going to rise to this. I'm just going to carry on. So I just carried on reading. So next he got the pillow off his bed and started whacking me around the head. <laughs> he said, come on, David, get angry. Why don't, you re- why don't you react? Get angry. And I thought, oh, I'm just, uh, go on, go, just go away, Andy. I'm not going <laughs> to fall for this. And this carried on for quite some minutes. You know, whack, whack. Come on, David, react, whack, whack. And uh, eventually, uh, I just have to say, I just snapped. <laughs> and Andy was a big guy, big bloke, and, and I was a lot skinnier than I am now. But I just stood up and I just gave him, all, gave him such an almighty push that he flew across the room and went flat on his back on his bed. And he actually broke some springs in his bed when he landed on it. <laughs> and he just lay there. His eyes were wide and he just stared at me. And then he burst out laughing. And I laughed too. And I apologised to him for doing it. And he apologised for me for being a, a pain in the neck. And we were mates again. <laughs> um, but the fact is that I lost patience. <laughs> Has anybody else lost patience ever from time to time? You can nod if you want. (laughs) It's very easy to do, isn't it? Especially when uh, you're being annoyed or or, or someone's getting on your back. It's easy to lose patience. So what is patience then? Um, What does it mean to have patience? There's an old uh, proverb that says patience is a virtue, seldom found in women and never found in men. That's not a biblical proverb, by the way, it's just a saying. And we talk about patience, don't we, as if um, it's it's almost unattainable, really. We talk about the patience of Job or the patience of a saint, as if, you know, us ordinary folk could never be that patient. We couldn't actually attain to that. What is patience? What is biblical patience? Some versions of the Bible use the words forbearance or long-suffering, particularly in that passage in Galatians where we read about the fruit of the Spirit and patience is the fourth one. And I think those words, although they're old-fashioned words, forbearance and long-suffering, they perhaps give a a better idea of of what the Bible means when it talks about patience. And there are a lot of references to patience in the Bible, I can tell you, because I went through the concordance to find out. I didn't look at them all, but there are a lot. But I think when we think about patience, we think about a rather negative concept, Um, just having to put up with something, Um, like you might have to have patience to put up with this interminable sermon as it goes on and on and on. Um, But I think um, biblical forbearance is a much more active thing. It's the idea that we say to ourselves that we are not going to react to a particular person or a situation uh, in the way that that situation might warrant uh, it might warrant that we that we react to it in a certain way but we decide within ourselves that we are not going to react like that we are going to refrain 
And it's something that I patently didn't do um, when Andy was doing his thing. So patience then is the opposite of losing your temper. It is the opposite of going off on one like I did. It is the antithesis of the, the reactive tweet or the spur of the moment like or cancel on, so, on the social media. It has to be thoughtful. It has to take time. It's not reacting immediately. One minister um, who I heard uh, some years ago, actually, gave this uh, advice. He said, you should never reply to an email immediately. You should always give it some time, preferably sleep on it overnight. And some of us find that very hard to do, don't we? We want to react. We want to give a response almost straight away. Especially if we feel we've been misunderstood or misjudged. We want to put, set the record right. We want to get back, react straight away. But patience is a fruit of the Spirit, as we've been reading. It's something that God wants to grow within us. It's something that he wants us to learn. Something that he wants us to demonstrate to those around us. So as we delve into it, um, we're going to look at three headings that perhaps help us to understand biblical patience, godly patience, a bit better. So we're going to look at God's patience with us, and then our patience with God, and then our patience with one another. So firstly, God's patience with us then. Now we've seen in this series so far how these, this fruit of the Spirit um, is a reflection of the character of God. Uh, we couldn't have these things growing in us if it wasn't the Spirit of God within us producing this fruit. And if it's the Spirit of God, then these things must reflect his character. They must be part of who he is. Bearing this fruit of the Spirit is part of us bearing the image of God, which he has created in us. It is, after all, the fruit of the Spirit of God. And as such, we would expect God to demonstrate these characteristics in his dealings with us. And that's what we find. One writer has described God's patience as God graciously restraining the infliction of punishment and the execution of his wrath. Now that might sound a bit negative, but we'll see what, how that fits in in just a moment. Because we are very often quick to judge, aren't we, ourselves, to judge those around us. And sometimes we want to execute our own punishment on them. It might be by cold-shouldering somebody, not talking to them anymore, or sharp words, or bowed-mouthing them, gossiping about them to others. In this passage we've just read in, in verse 9, that God is patient with us. It says, the Lord is not slow in, keep, slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is patient with us. In fact, God has always been patient with the human race. Ever since um, the Garden of Eden, ever since Adam and Eve first fell into sin, God has been patient with humanity. When, uh, you remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden and God said, you can eat any of the fruit in this garden, a lovely, productive, fruitful garden, you can eat any, any of this fruit, but just one tree I don't want you to eat from. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to eat from that. You mustn't eat from that tree. And of course they did, we know, they did. They disobeyed God. And God told them that the, 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 the result, the punishment, if they did eat from that tree, would be death. Death. 
And when they ate, when they fell into sin, God could have taken their lives immediately, quite justifiably, because he'd already warned them that that was the case. So he could have taken their lives, but he didn't. Instead, he showed patience with them, and he demonstrated his mercy by allowing to live out, allowing them to live out their natural lives. And God has showed patience to his people over generations. Um, if you read through the Old Testament, um, you'll find that uh, God's people, the Israelites, constantly rebelled against him. They constantly turned away from him to other gods. They constantly refused to obey him. They rejected him. They, they went away from him. Um, Sometimes they came back in repentance, sometimes they served him faithfully again, but time and again they fell away and rejected God who had shown them such great mercy. And God was patient with them. He forbore them, he bore with them. He showed them mercy. In fact, when uh, Moses asked to see God and to see God's nature and God allowed his presence to pass in front of Moses, although Moses couldn't see God's face, the Lord proclaimed his name and he said, I am the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. And slow to anger is really a definition of patience, isn't it? Not getting angry, not flying off the handle, slow to anger. And time and again, the Israelites, although they provoked God to anger, he showed them patience by withholding his judgment. In the book of Romans in the New Testament, uh, Paul says this, he says, In his forbearance, God left the sins committed beforehand. He's, he means before Christ's atoning death on the cross. He left the sins committed before Christ's death unpunished. God was patient, waiting, waiting for the right time for sin to be dealt with finally. Now why was this? Why was God patient? Why didn't God simply destroy those who rejected him, who rebelled against him? Well, simply because if he had, then the whole human race would never have got off the starting blocks because we have all rebelled against God. We have all turned our backs on him. We have all gone our own way and we all deserve God's judgment, the sentence of death. It's been hanging over every human being ever since Adam and Eve ate that first fruit. But God's eternal purposes are to, pr to produce a bride for his son at the end of time. And that bride is his redeemed people, people forgiven by God's grace and mercy, the church. And that plan could never be thwarted or stopped by human beings' rebellion. So God showed patience with mankind, with human beings, until Jesus should finally pay the price for sin and deal with sin once and for all and bring about this perfect new um, people of God. So how does God's patience work out then? Will he be patient forever? Will he just let us get away with it, as it were? And the answer to that is most definitely not. There was always a purpose to God's patience. Listen to what Isaiah, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, said. And he said this to the Israelites as they were rebelling against God and deserving God's judgment. And God said this through, through Isaiah. He said, is it, is it enough for you to try the patience of men. Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 
God's patience would result in the coming of the Messiah, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, uh, that, that Messiah, that the Lord Jesus, would bear the punishment that, that had been withheld up until he came. That verse in Romans that I just read begins like this. It says, God presented Jesus as an atoning sacrifice through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because, as we read before, in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So although God showed patience, there would come a time when sin would be punished. But it wouldn't be punished in human beings, or at least not human beings in general. It would be punished in one human being, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was perfect, committed no sin, and yet bore the punishment that was due to humans. Our punishment, your punishment, my punishment. This then here is the, is the wonderful heart of the gospel of, of Christ, the good news. God withholds his righteous and just punishment of sinful human beings. And instead, Jesus Christ, his perfect and sinless son, takes that punishment on himself by dying on the cross. Where does that leave us today? Well, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your saviour, and know that your sins are forgiven because he has borne them for you, then you will know and you will share the joy um, that Paul echoes in, in Romans when he says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You will know that in your heart because the Spirit of God will confirm it to you. Jesus has taken your sin away. But what if you haven't yet come to Christ and received his forgiveness? Well, let's go back to, to 2 Peter and, and that verse uh, verse 9 in chapter 3 where it says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance now Peter was writing this uh, letter in the context of talking about the return of Jesus to judge the world when Jesus is going to come back one day not to die again but to rule and reign and to be the judge of the world so you see, God is patient, but there will come a time when every one of us will meet God, the judge, face to face. And it'll either be when we die or when he returns. And if we've left it until then, it's going to be too late. We're not going to have time from then on to turn to him and repent. So if you've not yet come to Christ in repentance, then I would urge you to do it right now. Don't leave it. Because as verse 10 says, the following verse, the day of the Lord will come and it will come like a thief, says Peter. You don't know when it's going to be. Could be tonight, could be years to come, but we don't know. But it, the certainty is that Jesus is coming back one day and then we will have to face him. And we will either be carrying our sin with us or we, have, we will have already left it at the foot of the cross for Jesus to deal with. God is waiting patiently for you. He is longing for you to come home. Like the father in the story of the prodigal son, he is eagerly looking, looking to the horizon, waiting for lost sinners, waiting for you if you haven't come yet. Day after day, he longs for you to come home. Will you come? Will you come now and give your life to Christ 
So God is patient with us. Then I want to talk about our patience with God. Now that might sound a little bit odd. Why do we have to be patient with God? My eldest sister, Diane, was a bit of a scatterbrain. She's with the Lord now, uh, but she was a bit of a scatterbrain. And if something happened that she couldn't cope with or couldn't resolve in the house, um, her husband, David, was a very patient man. He had to be to deal with her. (laughs) But if something um, happened in the house or something that was perhaps going wrong, she'd flap her arms in the air and say, David, do something. (laughs) And David would say, okay, I'll sort it out. (laughs) How often do we act with God like that? Things go wrong in our lives Things not going the way we think they're going to go. And we start jumping up and down saying, Lord, do something. Please do it. Do something. Now. Before it gets out of control. If it hasn't already. Why do we get so frustrated with God? Well, I think it's because we're not looking at God's big picture. The 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon said this. Our lives are but like seconds in the tide of this great time of ours, which is itself but a brief second in the great duration of eternity. And Winston Churchill made a similar comment um, during the, the, the most, the, one of the darkest periods of, of our history in the middle of the Second World War during the Battle of Britain. He said this, We are only specks of dust that have settled in the night on the map of the world. And both those uh, quotations um, take a long view. They they look at where we are now and recognise that history is far bigger than the moment that we are in just at the moment. And the thing about us as Christians is that God can see the whole of history. He has the whole of history planned out and we are a speck in the middle of it. If we are frustrated with God, it is perhaps because we have not understood his time scale. Uh, back in our chapter, chapter uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 says this, Scoffers will say, where is this coming he has promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on the same as it, as it has done since the beginning of creation. In other words, um, this was written only a few years after Jesus had died, not, not long at all, perhaps, perhaps uh, 15, 20 years perhaps after Jesus had died. And people were already saying, huh, this Jesus is never going to come back. It's been years since, since he died. When's it going to happen? Well, here we are 2,000 years later, and Jesus has still not come back. And do people still say, oh, Christian faith's hot air. It's a load of rubbish. Jesus is never going to come back. Well, they do. Of course they do. But our faith tells us, and our reading of Scripture tells us, that Jesus will come back. He's promised to come back. Do you know the things he promised... Um, just before he went to the cross, he promised his disciples several things. He, he told them that he was going to die, he was going to be handed over, that he was going to die. That came true. He promised that he was going to rise again. That came true. He promised that he was going to meet them in Galilee. That came true. He also promised that he would come back again. Now that has not yet been fulfilled. But if all the others have been fulfilled, why shouldn't his other promise of, of returning to the earth come true at well as well at some point. This verse saying that uh, everything's going to carry on as the same is typical of humanity, isn't it? We say, if it doesn't affect me right here, right now, 
then I'm not really in interested. It doesn't really have any effect on me. I'm not really worried about it. I'm only interested in what's going on now, in my life, now. And in fact, this whole passage is a lesson in patience. It starts with humanity's impatience with God. What's God going to do? Why isn't he coming back? But it ends with God's patience with us. God is patient with us, not wanting any to perish, but all come to repentance. And in between those two, Peter covers the whole span of human history, from the beginning right through to the end. He tells us about the creation of the, of the world. He tells us about the flood, God's judging of the, of the earth. And he got, jumps right forward and tells us that one day this created world is going to be burnt up and a new creation will come. He looks at the whole span of God's history and he's saying, look, you're in the middle of that and God is patient with you. Just wait for God's plan to work out. Look at the big picture. Look at what God is doing. Don't get so caught up with what's going on in your life right here, right now, that you don't see God's big picture. We need to keep that big picture in view. God's purposes are not a quick fix. They're a long-term project to bring about the world that he wants. If we're believers in an all-powerful God, then we must have a different viewpoint from that of the world around us. We must be patient and wait for God. Peter tells us here that with, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So if something hasn't happened today, and we want it to, you know, with God, it's as if, well, there's plenty of time. It's going to happen in God's time. It might be a thousand years. It might be tomorrow. It might be this afternoon. We don't know. But we have to trust in God's timing. Scripture gives us many, many examples of godly people who waited patiently for God. Perhaps you remember the story of Job in the Old Testament. Job was sorely tried. He lost everything he loved. He lost most of his family. He lost his possessions, his wealth. He lost his home. He lost his health. He ended up sitting on an ash heap, um, scraping his skin because he was so uncomfortable. But he was able to understand that God had purposes. He didn't know what they were, but he understood that God was doing his own will. He said this, God understands the way of wisdom and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. You see, Job got the big picture. He could see that God had a big expanse uh, uh, that his plans were big he didn't know his place in them but he trusted that God was going to work it out one of the Old Testament prophets Habakkuk was likewise very confused about what God was doing Habakkuk couldn't believe that God was going to use a pagan king to come and judge the people of God um, that's, God had revealed that to him that he was going to use Cyrus a, a pagan king to come and be the, the means of judging the people of God. And so Habakkuk, although he couldn't, he couldn't really work that out, he said, well, I'm going to wait and see what God does. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts and I will look to see what he says to me. He decided to wait and see. And he never really got an answer. And right at the end of his book, he, uh, uh, he says these words, though the fig tree does not bud, and there's no grape on the vines, the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. 
There are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Saviour. He couldn't see what was happening. In fact, it was devastation all around him. Crops destroyed, cattle killed. Yet he said, I can wait for God and I'll rejoice in God. Friends, are you questioning God today? Are you confused at what he seems to be doing or perhaps what he's not doing? Are you frustrated by the apparent lack of action? Please be patient. Come back to his promises. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's working out his purposes for your good. His will is good. He is righteous. He wants the best for you. Trust him and he'll bring you through. David was a man who had many reasons to lose his patience. He had been anointed to be king of Israel when he was a young man. Yet he had to endure years and years of mistreatment by the current king Saul. He was chased across the land. He had to hide in caves. At one point, um, he was so desperate he had to pretend to be mad um, to get out of trouble. But he wrote one of the Psalms, Psalm 37, which uh, I would recommend, if you, if you can, if you read it, if you're frustrated with God for any reason, if you can't understand what's going on, take Psalm 27 and read it. It's quite a long psalm. Um, but here's one part of it. Is David says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. It's a test of faith sometimes, isn't it, to wait patiently for God. But sometimes we have to. We have to trust that God knows what he's doing and wait for him. One of the old hymns says, doesn't it, God is working his purposes out as year succeeds to year. And if that year seems a long time, then remember that with God it can be just a moment, just a minute, just a day. And he is working his purposes out. God's purposes will be fulfilled. Jesus will come back and establish his kingdom. So let's wait patiently for him and expectantly as well. I read a book recently about a, a person who was uh, going through a time of, of, of acute suffering uh, for various reasons. And she was able to write this. The time of waiting has sometimes felt like a void and very directionless. I have learned to trust in God, but I am perhaps still dwelling on the things that he hasn't done, rather than all, he, all the things he has done for us. So if you're frustrated that God doesn't seem to be acting, just think about the things he's already done for you, that he's loved you, that he's sent his son Jesus to die for you, that he's given you the gift of eternal life, that he's promised you a place in heaven that is ne promised never to leave you or forsake you. Be patient and wait for God. So lastly then, let's look at our patience with each other. And perhaps that's um, what, uh, what, what is really meant by this, uh, by this uh, passage about patience. Perhaps that's what we're thinking about, that we need patience with one another. But I think unless we understand um, the, the other aspects of patience, God's patience, then... Um, trying to be patient with one another um, it could turn out to be just an effort on our own part rather than relying on God relying on his patience with us 
Now, I could, of course, at this point, just berate you and say, you must be more patient. <laughs> and I could do that with myself as well. Maybe some of us do need that sort of uh, prompting, that kick up the backside, if you like. But I suspect for most of us, and certainly for me, that wouldn't have much effect. Um, we wouldn't know really what to do with that. But uh, maybe we do need to take it to heart. Um, I've often thought about these, these uh, fruits of the Spirit, which are, which are um, uh, listed in Galatians chapter 5. And they are things, which, all things which ought to be growing in us. Um, but at one time or another, I think each of us feels a lack of one or other of these fruits. And if patience is one of those, if you know that uh, your patience is sometimes very short, then I would counsel you that you uh, just pray, just ask the Holy Spirit to bring that fruit to the fore in your hearts and lives. Right at the beginning of this series, Ben reminded us that these fruits are not something we work up within ourselves. They are the fruit of the Spirit. And, and they're not my effort or your effort. We could never um, work up the effort to produce these things in our own lives. So I just want to think of very shortly of three things uh, which will perhaps help us to grow these fruits within us, the fruit of, uh, particularly this fruit of patience with one another. And the first thing we can do is to cultivate a deeper relationship with the Spirit of God. God has promised every believer that his Spirit will dwell within us. Now that's a mind-blowing thought, isn't it? That the, the Almighty God, the creator of the universe, comes by his Spirit to dwell within us, each one of us, when we come to him in faith. And these fruits are the fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, if we... You know, if we want to develop these groups, these fruits, we must develop a relationship with this Holy Spirit who lives within us. So when we're tempted to lose patience, let's stop and wait and just speak to the Holy Spirit who's living within us and ask him. Ask him for that, that, that extra patience, that extra um, forbearance, waiting till that moment of, of anger that rises up within us has passed away and we'll let God, the Holy Spirit, take over and let him help us to be patient, to wait, to be kind to the person. So develop a decent, uh, a, a deeper relationship with the Spirit of God. How do we do that? We pray to him. We read the scriptures, particularly read the Psalms, read people's response to God in praise, in worship. Yes, in questioning very often. How long, O oh Lord? How long must I wait for you to act? But very often those psalms that begin with that question, how long, end with worship and praise of God because his ways are perfect. So a deeper relationship with the Spirit of God. Then secondly, we can remind ourselves of God's patience with us. We've already thought about this. But the fruit we bear always comes as a result of God's mercy to us his patience with us, his grace towards us. So Paul could write to the Colossians, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Now that's another list, really, of the fruit of the Spirit in a different way, uh, to, a, to a different church he was speaking. But what he's saying there is that those um, characteristics, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience come as a result of what God has uh, 
shown to us. He says we are God's chosen people. We've been made holy and we're dearly loved. So we need to reflect back on what God has done for us. And then these fruits can grow within us. Rather than get frustrated with other people, let's remember God's amazing kindness to us and dwell on that. And then thirdly, we can concentrate our thoughts on positive characteristics in people rather than the negative. Last week, Paul, Paul Robinson reminded us of the Apostle Paul's words to the Philippians where he writes this, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And when somebody is uh, perhaps rubbing us up the wrong way, perhaps we should turn our thoughts to the good things in their lives rather than dwelling on the bad things, rather than dwelling on what's annoying us. Dwell on what is right in their lives, what's good in their lives. Paul lists his characteristics of love in that famous passage in 1 Corinthians 13. The first thing he says about love, he says love is patient. Love is patient. So if we truly love our brothers and sisters, we are going to be patient with them. That love is going to be reflected in our patience with them. There are going to be people, even within the church, who annoy us. There are going to be people who we don't really get on with, we don't click, we don't have a chemistry with. There are going to be people who do things or say things from time to time which annoy us and rub us up the wrong way. But we are called to love one another, love the brethren. Therefore we are called to be patient with them. Look at the good. Look at what God has done in their lives. If we are to grow in godly character, then patience is going to be one of the prime hallmarks of that. So take stock next time somebody annoys you. Wait before you react. Pray for the situation and approach them with love and forbearance. After all, you may be the one that's annoying somebody else. So just wait and be patient and be kind. And above all, reflect on God's patience with you. How many years was it before you submitted to his call on your life? How many times did you reject his love, turn away from him and go your own way, spurn his call, deny that you knew him, run away, hide, push him away before you finally came and admitted your need and came to him in repentance and faith? And was he patient with you? Of course he was, waiting for you to come. So think about that before you react impatiently to others. Peter once asked Jesus how many times he must forgive his brother. He said, seven times? That sounded a lot to Peter. I've got to forgive him seven times. And Jesus said, no, not seven times. Seventy times seven. And I don't think uh, Jesus was asking Peter to do the maths and work out what 70 times seven was and then use that number. I think the point of that is that you're supposed to lose count. You're supposed to keep on forgiving until you've lost count and then keep on giving some more, forgiving some more. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in mercy. Remember that. Remember that's how God deals with us. And may God grant that we help, uh, that we deal with others like that, reflecting God's character, shining out his love, his patience. 
Let's thank God for his patience with us and then ask him to help us to be patient with others. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that you are a patient God, slow to anger, rich in mercy. And we thank you for your patience with us as individuals. You've uh, called us um, to come to you uh, and many of us rejected that call for many years. Uh, but finally we, we, we've come to you and your patience has been so great um, and we're so grateful for that. And we pray that you will grow the fruit of patience in us. Help us to see the big picture uh, of what you are doing. Help us to see the good in others. Help us to be patient with them and to be loving and kind and gentle. And we ask it for your glory. Amen.